Welcome to the WA Property Q&A, the podcast where I explore the ins and outs of buying property in Western Australia. I'm your host, Peter Fletcher, and each week I interview local property experts to help you to develop a deep understanding of the nuances of buying property in WA. From market trends to legal considerations, no topic is off limits. But before we dive in, a friendly reminder, while we provide valuable information, it's important to note that nothing discussed in this podcast should be construed as personal investment advice. Always remember to seek the appropriate professional advice for your specific circumstances. Now, let's get started and unlock the secrets to successful property buying in WA. Welcome to the WA Property Q&A podcast. I am your host, Peter Fletcher, and with me today is one of the state's best real estate agents. Uh, he's shaking his head, but he is. He's an absolute jet. Derek Baston from Baston & Co. in Victoria Park. And uh, Derek has been in real estate. I'll actually let you tell the whole of your story, Derek. Or Some of it. Yeah, some of it. Yeah. But I've known Derek for uh, a long time now, since about 2005-ish, I think. Would be I, I feel like I've known you since I came into the industry, which was 2002. 2002, yeah. And what I've known of Derek is he's a polished professional. And, uh, and the, the reason I've got him on today is to talk about uh, the property market in Victoria Park specifically, and we might get off and talk uh, about other things, as we often do. It does happen. We, what I know about Derek is that he has a very, very detailed understanding of the market, but it's also a nuanced understanding of the market. So we're going to start there. Now, Derek, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in real estate. Okay. Back in 2001, I was a young bloke, uh, married, no kids at foot, and I needed a bit of a career change. And this thing, real estate, seemed like an opportunity. Newspaper ad, just it wasn't a vocation. It wasn't something I believed I should be doing. It was a change. Happily, I fell on my feet. It's worked for me. It's a wonderful gig. I really love it. And I've been in Vic Park for over 20 years now. And my wife and I have a mum and dad agency, I would call it, a boutique agency. We're very hyper-local. We really understand our patch. Yeah, we've got a good sense of the market, but we don't stray far. We do what we're good at, and we stick with Vic Park and Surrounds. Mm. You, you know Vic Park very, very well because, as you say, you've got this hyper-local understanding of the market. Now, one of the things that you do is, is you produce a semi-regular newsletter. Not as regular as it should be, but yes. Yeah. Periodically, I, I, uh, I feel um, strongly about something, and sometimes maybe it's not just talking about the market and what the market's doing, but it might be my view on, you know, could be anything, what other agents are doing. And maybe I feel that it's not ethical or I don't strongly support something that's happening in our marketplace. And I, I, I like to hold the mirror up to it sometimes. And you do a good job at that. And You've had a bit of a crack at the council as well uh, from time to time. Yeah, they do good things. We can't always have a crack at them. Yes, from time to time, I've, um, I've been visible or vocal as required. Yes, and I, I love it. And for those playing at home, if, if you want to join a, a newsletter that's worth reading, Derek Baston's newsletter, he, he's, a, he's a really good writer. Thank you, Pete. Um, I know you're a very good writer too, and now you're making me feel guilty because I need to put pen to paper a bit more often. I, 
I wish you would, Derek, because it's, it's, it's actually worth reading. Thanks, Pete. Now, usual barbecue question for real estate agents, and I'll get you to just sit closer to that microphone, Derek. You know, yep, yep. The real estate agents, they do struggle to follow directions. and I'm no exception. And he's no exception, but that's why we love him. Now, typical barbecue question that every real estate agent gets asked is, how's the market? So how's the market? How is the market? The market is unusual, but it's been unusual for years. But now it's unusual because it's all about scarcity. There is genuine fear, fear of missing out, driving our marketplace. And so despite having interest rate going up continuously, I think we're on our 11th, is it, or 12th rate rise in a row? 11th, 12th, 13th, Give or take, yeah. A lot. In WA, there are simply more people chasing accommodation than there are dwellings available. And it doesn't matter if you're looking at the rental market or the sales market, that truth is self-evident. The panic is real. There's bits of the housing market alive that haven't been alive for a very long time, i.e. rent by the room, for example. That's something that only happens when we traditionally have had a mining boot. But right now, we've got people coming to town. We've got full employment. We have a historically great value, which seems counterintuitive. So we're, we're the second most affordable capital city out of all the states and territories right now. And so we've got a rising market. We've got property prices going up multiple offers on anything that resembles good stock. And I know that's probably another conversation, what is good stock? But uh, yeah, it's counterintuitive, to be honest. Rate rises, but prices going up. Yeah. So we've had, I think it's, uh, it's 12 rate rises in 13 months or it's 11 in 12, but I think it's 12 in 13. Yeah. And in the last 12 months, we've had 3.4% growth on the median house price in, in Vic Park. Mm. And, and I think that that stat is not reflective of the growth we've had in the last, last 12 weeks, which could be that again, I reckon, because we've kicked off. It's just, it's hot right now. Yeah. So it's, so it's sort of hotter than what it was and it was hot before. So if, if you do the timeline, so we, we were just starting to recover. Our market was starting to recover in 2019, and that was driven by the mining sector coming back to life. And then COVID, we all panicked, thought the world was going to end government money on the, on the fire of our economy, which turned out to be largest that we didn't need. It was um, superheated and prices started to recover. There was money everywhere. Banks, the interest rates were very low. So affordability wasn't an issue. And then the interest rate rises started last year in April, maybe. That sounds about right. And I think we all thought that would be the, the handbrake that the economy would need. And there was a slowdown in WA, in our marketplace but it was for a nanosecond. And what we've watched happen since maybe December last year is stock levels just consistently drop week in, week out, week in, week out. I know you, you, you do the stats for the market, you're aware of this. It was just as sure as little eggs. We're going to get to this point of craziness where there was more people looking for houses despite the rate rises than the stock that was available. So we, in w, uh, Perth, with the greater metro area, I think that the numbers, you know, 5,400. It's phenomenal. Properties for sale. Yeah. That's houses and units. Most of that, a big chunk of that is land, which we'll talk about. We, we'll, can yeah. we come back to that? Promise, yes, another promise conversation. We'll, we'll come back to that yeah. today. Yeah. There's a big chunk of that that's land. And then there's units. Um, so, you, you know, your high rise units. Yeah. And then how a few houses. So that, they're the three sectors. So housing stock sitting below 2,500 
which is historically low. And that's well, across the whole of Perth. Yeah, Perth Metro. And so if we go back to perhaps 2006 when you had similar numbers, but our population, I don't know how, much, how many more people live in Perth now than then. So in real terms, we're at a historically low point for housing availability. And you talked about, you talked about apartments, and, and that's relevant because apartments have probably been the bit of the market, if we just disregard land for a sec, that haven't recovered significantly until now. So liquidity, as in time on market for apartments, has dropped massively in the, la- in the last 12 months. So it's down, I think it's an 11% drop time to sell. So it's something like 24 days for Vic Park, which sounds like a lot, but 24 days. It's insane when you, this, this was a, a segment of the market that wasn't selling through for years and years, from 2015 through to about 2000, I don't know, 20, 2020. So why is it selling? Why are they selling? And, and it's pretty simple. Because of the historically low rental stock, if you're a tenant that can buy, you are choosing to buy now because the only way to get any sort of tenure, as in housing security, and the mum and dad investors led by an East Coast charge are back in the market because they're chasing yield because rents have gone through the roof because of that same lack of rental stock. So finally, for the first time in a long time, apartment stock not only has demand, but because of um, the cost of building over COVID, there's no supply. There's no new supply. And that is not going to change quickly. I know that everyone has that crystal ball question of how long will it last? And I don't know the answer, but I can't see the solution. Mm, mm. I can't see where the stock's coming from. Yeah. So if, if you were going to take, if you were going to pump any reasonable number of properties back into the available stock, it has to come from somewhere. And there's no, there's no reason why anyone would want to sell right because- Because you've got yield and capital growth. Yield and capital growth, but you've also got, I need a house to live in. Like you, Absolutely. You, you've got to, yeah. like, I could sell my house, but where am I going to move now? So there's, there's this, I don't know what the right word is, but there's this- It's landlocked. Yeah, it's a lack of traction in the market. You can't do the next thing no matter how much you want to because- where are you going to live in between time? It's just not going to work. So the people who've got the capacity to just buy, whether that's subject to finance or cash, they're first in queue. If you're subject to sale, you're not in the queue. Be just no chance that anyone is accepting, well... There's always that, an outlier they, chance. They, they, that you'd get a, possibly get a subject to sale offer accepted, but it would have an automatic 48-hour clause on it, and you're probably setting yourself up for failure. It's a real estate agent's wet dream because they've got the lever, which is the subject sale offer, to go back to the market and say, I've already sold it. Do you want to steal it? You've just got to pay more. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Don't put yourself in that position if you're a buyer. So going back to to apartments, um, and you're right, they have traditionally been uh, very slow to sell. You know, you put a, around here we've got, you know, 69 to 71 Leonard Street, 69 to 71 King George Street, you put something in there on the market and you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to have a, a listing for a while. Used to be. But not now? Not now. You're saying that these... what was, They're all saleable. All, all of those really tough to move, older style apartments have a marketplace and owner occupiers are leading the price support. So on those ones, on those ones. So first home buyers predominantly. 
No, you, you would not suspect. at all. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, you would suspect, right, that's pa- perhaps how it should be in WA, that first-time buyers should look at apartment stock favourably, close to the city, you know, they don't have all the Im- impediment of commuting and costs, et cetera, and what a great way to kick off your real estate adventure with an apartment in the city. No, that's not first-time buyers. So the people are buying are the people who've got problems. So they might have come here on a two-year contract. They might be, they could be lecturing, they could be in the resource sector, and they've come here thinking, I'll just rent a place. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to be here for two years. Mm. They can't get a can't, rental. Can't buy, get a rental. So no. what do they do now? They've got to buy. Yep, yep. So, yeah, and they just buy and, the and cheapest thing in the apartment, in the market, which is those older style apartments. And one of those cases is the one that I helped somebody buy one of your listings. And yeah, exactly. It was, um, you know, that, that exact thing. We've, uh, you know, like they, they looked at the rental market and realised that it was just a real pain, decided buying was the best option. And look, they are the privileged few, right? Because most people who are tenants are not necessarily tenants by choice. They, they're, they're tenants because that's where they're at in their life. But the ones that can make the choice to become home buyers, that's the solution to the problem. Mm. Yeah. So I, I suspect that not, you're saying that it's, it's first home buyers, or, well, not first home buyers, are owner occupiers that are driving the charge. 100%. But I, right. So my gut feel was that it was investors driving the charge, that this was a yield driven marketplace. So my experience at the coalface and talking to my, my peers mm. in the industry is if you go to the periphery of Perth, so the Warmbras, the Waikikis, the Baldivises, the Armadales, the Gosnells, et cetera, where there's established homes on notionally six or 700 square metres that they could pick up for, an, that, sorry, they being investors and particularly East Coast investors, they are driving those markets because they can notionally pick something up for under 500000 and rent it for over $500 per week. So that's a yield conversation. Mm-hmm. And they're really excited that they can buy a house for under that number. It's like lolly shop numbers for an East Coast buyer. Mm. But if you're talking about the older style apartment market in the inner city Perth, they often come with slightly higher levies because there's more maintenance to do and there, there isn't the, the underlying square metres of land. And investors, when they're getting advice from their buyer's agents, because all these, not their local buyer's agents, Peter, but the, the East Coast, it, it's a particular view of the world. They want land, family home, and, and they don't discriminate on the basis of stigmatised suburbs like a local might. Yeah. So we would pick we, the good suburb, a, right? We've, we've got a nuanced view of the market that Co- they don't. Correct. So, There's no depth so, to their understanding. They just, here's the model, spend the money, move on, next deal. So as an example of that, I spend a bit of time on TikTok. As you do. Yeah, you know, like it's the scroll of doom. Yeah. And there's this buyer's agent. He'd flown into Perth and he was going to buy, you know, like 10, 20, 30 properties, so he said. Yeah, yeah. And I'm in Aluka right now. And Aluka, it's so close to the city. It's, and it offers such great value. Yeah. And I'm going, dude, Aluka is uh, like, but, how many kilometers? But if you're listening to that TikTok and you're in Queensland, yeah, that's your truth, isn't oh, it? Oh, 100%. They go, well, thanks very, and, and, and yeah. people were diving in on that saying, oh, yeah, that's, that's just awesome. And we see it all the time with, you know, not just Aluka and, uh, you know, these far-flung suburbs like Butler, but also, you know, 
Parmelia, Medina, Quinana, those are suburbs that we would traditionally play very carefully in. Well, they're um, suburbs that experientially they have their peak in hot markets because the yields are very good because you can buy cheaply. The, the but there's are, a reason you can buy cheaply. Yeah. But they traditionally don't run for, you know, eight years at a time. No. And I would say to people that this yield-driven purchasing, and there's plenty of that in those outer suburbs. We're getting off track from Vic Park, that's but that's okay. okay. Yeah. Well, if you want yield, buy in Kalgoorlie. Karatha. Uh, Karatha. Yeah. Kalbarri. You know, Whatever. The, the, buy buy yeah. in one. You are going to get stunning returns. Yep. Yep. Um, now, we might not want to talk about the capital growth side of things, but you'll get good capital. You'll get good you'll, rental returns. Yeah. If we talk about capital growth for a town like Karatha or Port Hedland, let's just say you get good capital movement. Up and down. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you get that at casino too, though. I've just been listening to a, a podcast by, uh, I think, a guy called, I think, Stuart Wames, he, uh, Investopoly podcast. Right. A really clever guy. Like, right. he, he's, he, he loves real estate, but he's not frightened to talk about, look, real estate isn't the only rock show in town. Yep, yep. Look at shares. And he says, one of the things that you need to be aware of with shares is it's very, like, the amplitude is, you know, like, very high. It's yep, a yep. lot of variability. So, you know, don't look at your share price every single day. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really good advice. But, you know, back to those, you know, the Kalgoorlies and, yep, the, yep. and yeah, be prepared. Yeah. I, you can... And, and I think the, the same should be said for... You know, your Parmelias and your Aurelias and your, you know, your Beldivuses. I feel like they're an exciting product at a point in the market for a particular subset of buyers who, as you say, haven't experienced or understood the nuanced um, marketplace Mm. that is Perth. And uh, there's a a, a group of people who take advantage of that every time the cycle lets them. Yes. And that's, that's very sad. Like... It's it's a fact of life, but uh, I I suspect that. But, um, but does that? It is sad and it's opportunistic, but it does create opportunity for the people on the ground in Perth who own in those suburbs at that point in time. So that's a good thing, Pete. Now, Derek, I, we've covered off on you know the houses and units, and let's go back to houses. You put a house to the market today. Yeah. How many offers would you? Expect I, I would expect a Vic Park house, whether it's on a full block or half a block, as long as it's well presented, mm. that's key. So it's got to not have a lot of work attached to it. As a solution to the housing problem today, six offers would be norm. 40 to 50 groups through first open would be norm. So they, they're a pretty hot property. You have to structure up how you take them to the market so you don't cap the outcome. They, the job for an agent now is not to be an order taker. But, and I, I know some people in the marketplace don't like this, but we are to be price makers at this point in the marketplace. Interesting. Okay. That is interesting. Tell me more about this concept of price makers. Okay. So, because I, I think what is going to come out of your mouth within the next three sentences is the, the idea of no price negotiating, no, no price Okay, that's marketing. a good, that's and a good segue. And I'll get you to sit a bit closer to the microphone for... Okay. So, no price marketing is very seductive when an agent talks to a potential seller and they say, 
let's remove the price because we're in a rising market. Let's not cap the outcome. Doesn't that sound exciting if you're a seller that wants to get lots of money? 100%. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. The problem is we have to deal with buyers and buyers hate it with a passion. Yes, they do. All, all a buyer wants to know is how much. Now, that how much could just be a price guide. That how much could be what are they thinking? That is the question that's going to get asked in every no price marketing. So it doesn't matter if it's there, auction. There is, there is no question about that, Derek. No question in my mind because I, you know, I'm, I'm quite often contacting real estate agents for properties that I'm, I'm looking for on behalf of clients. My first question is, what are you guiding on this property? Like, that's my first question. Exactly. Because if they can't answer it, how much more energy are you going to waste? Not much, probably. So, and if the guide's you know, realistic and it's backed up with some market evidence and it's in, in sync with where the market's heading, you're going to engage. So, so I think, so my view, view of the world is always engage all the buyers. Mm-hmm. And if you can engage all the buyers, the magic happens when one buyer sees the other buyers. It is important to put a price out there in the marketplace. There can be a price guide. It doesn't have to be prescript- prescriptive. So it could be mid 800s. Mm-hmm. You know, if the, if the last lot of sales evidence said 830 to, to 850, it would be realistic to put mid 800s on that. And all the buyers in the marketplace would go, yep, that's, that's par. That's what we're thinking. Let's go and have a look. But the outcome, of course, after a competitive round of offers could be 890 because mm-hmm. that's the direction the market's moving. But I think doing that means you don't disengage from buyers when a property is fresh to the market. And disengaging from buyers would be EOI, set date sale, a- anything that doesn't allow buyers to engage. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, look, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit it's, of a hot topic for me because I, 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 look, I'm not saying I don't put offers on a property, but that would be because um, the discussion with the vendor is, look, this could be the best way, but always in the background of that, if I ever do have no price, I have a, a prescribed price guide that I'm giving to every buyer, the mm-hmm. same price guide. I know that some agents are loose and fast around that, but that's a dangerous game. I think that what comes out of your mouth has to be what's agreed with the vendor. So the vendor understands exactly what the market's hearing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So this, um, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me if, if using your example of mid 800s, that like the, the, the evidence is saying 830 to 850, you're probably thinking, you know, you and the vendor are probably thinking, well, we might stub our toe on 850, 870 to 890. If we're fortunate and that's the way it rolls. But there's a lot of agents who they are going, well, we're just, we're letting the, 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 the market tell us where, where the market sits, which is, you know, like code to me to like just well, they, are, they either don't know, which is a whole nother problem. Which but, they should. But if they're not local agents, how could they? Because there's, in a marketplace like Vic Park, there's not enough comparative market evidence of one type of house for anyone to know what's going on unless you're at the coalface. It's all very well if you're in, I don't know, what's the suburb where all the houses are the same? Canning Vale. Yeah. So if it's, if it's Legoland, every house is a four bed, two bath, double lock up, 600 square meters. It's easy. Mm. It's not easy in Vic Park. Mm. We've got such a wide variety of housing stock. So, so we, do, we do have to open the door a little bit to what could be. 
I was going to say something then in regards to mid-800s. Go on, you go, Pat. These, these uh, agents then, they end up giving these, this really low quote range. Like, I, I, to, to use this as an example, you know, the mid-8s as an example, they would say, well, they're looking for, for offers above 750. Oh, is that your experience? This, I, is, this is my experience. I remember I, what I was going to say now. So somebody showed me this week the text that an agent had sent back to a buyer on an offers campaign where the buyer had said, what do they want? And the text came back and it said, if it's coming up in your search parameters, you should look at this house. Yeah, right. So, so, so we, this is, this is yeah, where, yeah. Derek, this yeah. is where these scripts and dialogues that are being taught by Eastern States sales trainers are letting the industry down because that sort of rubbish, it just upsets people. It upsets you even more as an agent when you go and look at what the background search parameters are on that house and you see that the, the low end is so low mm. that you know it's bait advertising, really, because yeah. there's people now who are believing that it's within their capacity to buy that house. So they're going to turn up to that house and it's never going to happen, but it, it's a, a broad cohort who will go and have a look. And if it doesn't get away in the first couple of weeks, that agent will put a price on it inevitably because they have to because that's what the market is dictating if, if the seller wants to sell. How are they going to set that price? They're going to set that price based on the feedback from the cohort of buyers who came through the door who've been artificially driven by the price parameters that the agent set up. It's just a bit iffy. It's more than iffy, Derek. It's, I think it's unethical and it's a, a topic that I think there's a lot of people just not willing to have the conversation around fixing this problem up. Now, I'll give you an, e an example. I was involved in this directly. Right. So I, I saw this uh, property in a northern suburb. I'm just going to, you know, completely yeah. uh, anonymize this. Good plan. Northern suburb. And I've looked at it and I've th this is perfect. The, the property was opposite a park. It was, uh, you know, it was... It was perfect. Good size block of land, good solid house, and uh, phoned the phoned the uh, agent up, and I said, "What are you guiding?" And they said, "Mid fours." Now I take mid fours to mean four two five to four seven five. Okay, uh, we we and so uh, so buyers will actually ask, "What does mid fours mean?" So I say four thirty to four sixty. So same, same, so, same, same. You you could put a you know yep. shorter parameter on that, but let's say yep. you know that mid mid fours four twenty five to four seventy five. And I go cool. Uh, when's the home? Uh, I knew when the home opened. Turned up. I was the first person through the home open. I actually was you know walked through that front door before it was even open. Yeah, yeah. And uh, had a look around, did all my checks, and thought we're buying this. No question. Right. And one of the things I said to, to the agent is, my client has a hard limit of 520, because I knew that it was going to go for more than what she said. This is going to get interesting, this conversation, Pete. My, my client has a hard limit of 520. Should I walk away now? And she said, no, make your offer. Now- which I did, mm -hmm. knowing full well. Yeah, yeah. And so we we got straight away to five ten. Right, right. And that was stopped us because that's what 
what I thought the place was worth. And so this is a process where they're going backwards and forwards with multiple buyers. So, so this that's is another whole yeah, conversation yeah, starter. Well, this this is. So uh, we were using a platform called Rezo. Okay. You, okay. I've told you yep, about. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it it had our offer at one stage as offer number one. Right. I, I, we were, you know, like yep. we were in the mix. And at that point I went, you know what, we want to know, are we going to buy this property or not at this price? And let me have a think about it, Peter. I will come back to you tomorrow, talk to the, the seller. And they came back and they said they want 550 Right. And they got it. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that I mean, so, and, so and the I'm market thinking, supported the price. It's just And the, I'm thinking that what happened was my our offer was being used to sharpen someone else's pencil. No question. And I thought, well, you're not going to have use of my offer. I'm not going to leave that just sitting there to, to make your marketing easier. I'm just going to pull the offer. Why, in hindsight, would you get involved with that particular process again the same way? Why would you give so much oxygen for your offer to be used as a lever, in hindsight? I, mean, I just wanted to to go in. Didn't care that yeah, it was, we were above yeah. above the expectations. Yeah, yeah. We we're above the quoted expectations. Couldn't you have just written your offer and said, "Look, this has got a lifespan of about four hours. My client has given me permission to do this. I understand you're running this process with Rezo, but yeah, there could there could have been other ways for me to handle it. And, and, and maybe they would have just told you to get stuffed anyway. We don't know, mm. but it depends how much action was in the background at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well. There was straight away, there were seven, seven offers. So oh, was, wow. Okay. Plenty of action. Yeah. I was always, you know, it was either- Can you see that on that platform? How many other parties are written yes. off? Right. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yes. You're, and I think it got up to 10 at one stage, but, you know, like when I was playing with it, it got to seven. So you're not privy to what the other offers are. So you don't know the conditions of the other offers. So you're competing against unlike- Offers. So one could be cash, one could be subject to sale. Almost identical to open open negotiation. Yeah, uh, I, I, I see. I struggle with that a little bit. Well, you know, you're not the only one because, you know, the whole idea of auction sales, yep. as in a genuine stand on the street. They're all the same offer. They're all cash unconditional. They're all cash unconditional. And and we know, we know what everyone's bidding on, whereas with open negotiation... I could be bidding um, yeah. against a subject sale offer. Apples and oranges offers. The vendors decided they're happy with all of them. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they haven't arrived at that decision as a sophisticated party. I'm, and I'm not saying that vendors are not sophisticated, but they're led by their agent, right? And what was even worse with this, um, with this system was that the agent got to, well, the agent, and they, were, they would say the owner, yeah. but the agent gets to rank the offers. So they're not ranked on price necessarily? Or you don't know? Don't know. What what you know is that you're offer number one or offer number three or offer number seven. So you may in fact be the best, but you might be two. So you're bidding against yourself at that point? You're bidding against yourself. So what what would happen if if you were an agent, you know, using the system, your number one offer... The, the, the highest offer that you thought these people really want this property and, yeah. have, and have said as much, 
You would rank them number two. Surely it's not, that can't be right. You would rank them number two, which would then get them to pump up their, their offer. And if you thought that they still had a little ways to go, you'd still rank them number two. And you'd say, you've got to keep going on this. Yeah, I, I know we're in a world of multiple offers and it's a pretty tough space for buyers. And even the process that we run in our office, which I think is as transparent as you can be, except the buyers aren't privy to each other's offers, mm. and we definitely don't rank them, they're literally presented side by side for the seller to deal with. I really do feel for the buyers because mm. they would like to be privy to those other offers, but then it'd be an auction. And that's a whole different world as we've talked about because it wouldn't allow as many people to play because if we're going to have a true auction, they've got to be like offers and obviously the offers are not like. In fact, this week, last week, my apologies, we had a property sell for 865 cash and the highest offer was 880 subject to finance pre-approved, but my sellers, their prerogative, yep. um, they went, no, we want the certainty. Thank yeah, you. We want the certainty. Yep. So, yep. so you that's, know. That's okay. That's understandable. I think so too. I think it's entirely fine. So yeah, there's um, yeah, it's 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 interesting what's going on at the moment. That there's no doubt about that. Now, you you said before about making an offer and giving the seller four hours. You know, th- this offer's on the table for four hours. Yeah, yep. I don't think that's going to work because uh, well, it agent, depends, doesn't it? Yeah, if your offer was probably. Fantastic. 10, 10% north of, of true value, oh, you, oh, it might be worth taking. But I say to I think bu- most agents would go, you know what, Derek, thanks for your offer. So we had a buyer do this expect, to us expect, the other day. Yeah. They, they uh, made an offer on a property before the first home open and they said, it's cash, take it or leave it. Um, we don't want you to go to the first open. We know how much interest you're going to have. This is a great offer. It was a great offer. My seller went, Nah, stuff them. Let's roll the dice. Um, and so we did. We only got $3,000 more, had, but, but we did get more. But he understood that we could get less. And, and look, he's a great client. I wasn't on thin ice um, as being party to this. It was entirely his commercial decision. Yes. It wasn't his home. It was an investment property. Uh, well, there's, there's an example that by the sound of it, the buyer almost pulled it off. Yeah, as in I would have taken it. Yeah, yeah. because I'm like, ma, commercial. This is gold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Premium but, price, easy. But it cash. would it would have to be a premium price, and it, and it was in that case. Yes, it was in that case. But um, I feel like I shouldn't tell this tale. But well, don't if you if you well, it doesn't it doesn't compromise anyone else. Probably just me. But I may never be able to buy another house after this because every house that Lee and I have bought. If it's been in the, Lee being my wife, sorry, I should say that, licensee at Bassett and Co., if it's been on the market with another agent, we've literally gone and said, here's our offer. If you open the door, it's gone. Yeah, right. And probably different market though. To, different to what, markets, to different markets. Yeah, mm. true, true. We haven't done that in this market. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, because this market is, this is a, a unicorn market for real estate agents. Uh, I agree. Just, I, and, and for property sellers. Yeah, yeah. I, I say it's academically interesting. Because we might not experience it again. Yeah, well, who knows? A, 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 until next time. <laughs> who, who knows what the end of this is going to be? Because I saw, I was lucky enough to be selling real estate in, in 1988. And the market 
at the time was really strong. Most people wouldn't remember, you know, only us old guys will remember there was a there was a thing called a multi-listing system. I, and I remember just. Just, yeah. And and they had these multi-listing books and they yep. had one for South and one for North. Right. And they, they were quite big, fat, and it was a stock list. Yeah. And they were quite big, fat books full of, you know, properties. And I think at the time there was, it would have been 17 or 18,000 properties on the market, maybe even more. Like, it was a lot of properties yep, on the yep, market. Yep. And now I'm talking in, in the 19, early 1990s, that was the case. Right. But back in 1988, the, the home, the, the props for sale magazine was paper thin. Like it was only about 32 pages. Yeah, right. I've, I've actually got one at home. I, I should bring it in and show people. Uh, it was 32 pages and that included North and South. Wow. But, right? but we were a country and, town and, too. And, and it went from that to, in the space of two years, to being two books, one for North, one for South, both really thick. I, I don't miss the MLS books. They used to come in and then we used to get on the phone and start ringing buyers and, you know, trying to sell other people's stock. I'm so glad that's over. Yes, yes. The, the point being that, you know, I've not seen a market like this since probably 1988. Oh, you, so given that I'm a slightly younger vintage than you, Pete, 2006 between July and November. That was good, but I don't think it was this good. Right. I, I remember it being good, you know, multiple offers, all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, is, look, we've never had 5,000, 5,500 properties on the market. Even back then it was, I, I, I think, around 10 or something like that. It was probably twice what we had on the market. We've yeah, got on the market. With, with a smaller population. With a smaller population. So it's, it's just... Stunning what's going on right now. We haven't talked about one thing uh, we said we'd come back to, which was land. I'm, You're getting there. No, I was... I'm just thinking about good. it because back then at least people would build, Yeah, right? And, and so... And now... Now they won't. You can buy a block of land yep. and do what with it? Exactly. In our case, yep. we run chooks. <laughs> so, so we've got this, you know, like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of land We've got chooks on them. But they're good eggs, right? They stopped laying. Oh, no. <laughs> so now they're just pets. You're right. <laughs> so, they're expensive chooks. They, 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 well, yeah, they, they are, but, you know, we wouldn't. Uh, we you wouldn't do it any other way, we, I know. We love, we love our chooks, or especially Rita. So land is just, you know, in a weird sort of way, because since forever, we've, we've said that it's, Land that goes up in value. Land is the holy grail. Land goes up in value and the improvements go down. Yep. Luckily, yep. the land is going up faster than the improvements are going down. But in this market, that's not the case because if you just had a straight block of land, you've had zero capital growth for the past uh, ages. N negative growth. Because yeah, th as the government money um, disappeared, the building incentives post-COVID yes. post lockdown... Um, and the, the, the very apparent problems in the building industry stuck their head up, people went, I'm not doing that. Mm. That's crazy. Mm. Who would do that? So interestingly, I'm about to put a block of land on tomorrow. So uh, Good luck. I, I reckon I'll sell it because, you know, I'm, a, I'm a eternally positive, Pete. I'm the exception to the rule. Well, look, whereabouts is it? 
Well, this this is a free spruik for a block of land. Um, so it's Mofflin Circle. So ah, Vic, yes, Victoria yes. Park Heights, yes, the yes. last block left in an estate that was developed over twenty five years yes, ago. I so I remember it's that the yeah. only block. So it's 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 like hen's teeth. Excuse the chook pun, given that yeah, yeah, what yeah. you do with your land. I put the sign up. Haven't put it online. The phones already started ringing. Really? So maybe it's the exception to the rule. Wow, I um, hope so. Yeah, because it 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 is genuinely difficult to get a builder to well except 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 i hear on the grapevine brickies are chasing work i hear on the grapevine grano workers are chasing work so they're on the phone actively soliciting so that means the beginning of the process is ready for new builds so so whether that's a year away or a year and a half away where we can say there's more certainty so Mm -hmm. as in timelines will be controlled i'm not saying it'll be cheaper I don't think that will reverse quickly. Can you imagine a builder maybe watching the cost of a brick laid go down, thinking they're going to drop their contract price halfway along the journey? Don't think so. They want some of that margin they lost on the other side. And I don't blame them, to be honest. But it, but it won't become cheap to build, but you will have certainty, I'm sure, very soon. Mm. So, so, so if Let's ha- hope so, because that might start changing the dynamics of the market when you've got people making start, that decision starting to build again yeah but um, it'll be a that's a slow burn because that's uh, 100% yeah, yeah that's I, that's I, 18 months in the, in the change I, I reckon and i do not have a crystal ball that the thing that'll change the wa market will relate more to what happens in the resource sector so around employment than anything else mm-hmm. i don't think it'll be a supply story i think it'll be a demand story and and not that we're seeing the writing on the wall for the end of the current run in the resource sector. So this could be a long uptick in price for WA, but not before time. In 2006, we had the same median house price as Sydney. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're, I think we're not quite a third of, but we're a long way behind we're a Sydney. long way, yeah. Yeah, so. Derek, we probably need to wrap this up. Um, it has been fantastic. Um, it's been interesting, Pete. Interesting is a, is a curse, isn't it? I, I think we've been very, I, th- I think we've been very polite. I think we've, you know, just held back. <laughs> we've been good. Now, Derek, for those people who are thinking of selling in or around Victoria Park, how would they get hold of you? They would, I think the easiest way would just be to Google Baston & Co. Yes. Google Baston & Co. Um, we'd love to talk to you. And you don't have to be selling. You don't have to be selling. As far as I'm concerned, real estate is a very long game. Yes. And I'd, I'd much rather have the relationship than sell your house. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I think you're, you're one of these sort of agents that if somebody just wanted to take you out and have, buy you a cup of coffee and pick your brains, uh, you'd be happy to do that. Is that, is that Genuinely, right? I really would. I, yeah. I, okay. Going right back to the beginning of this, and I know we've got to wrap it up, um, even though I didn't seek real estate out as a profession, I do like people. And- Ultimately, uh, this is just about people as much as we talk about houses. And I enjoy that. And uh, as long as I enjoy that, I'll be doing this. Good. Derek, been fantastic and uh, hope we can do it again. Until next time, this has been Peter Fletcher on the WA Property Q&A podcast. Thank you very much, Pete. And that wraps up another episode of the WA Property Q&A. We hope you found our discussion valuable and gained some valuable insights into the world of property buying in Western Australia. Remember, while we strive to provide useful information, it's 
crucial to consult with the appropriate professionals before making any investment decisions. Don't forget to tune in next week for another exciting episode where we continue to unravel the mysteries of the WA property market. If you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. Until then, happy property hunting and remember to seek the right advice for your personal circumstances. Thank you for listening. Thank you.